So we've talked quite a bit about Neil Mope on this podcast, and it's usually the same conversation every time. I mean, pretty good or even great link-up play, a pretty good work ethic, but a player with a huge confidence problem. And what I mean by that is just he has these crazy rises and dips in confidence throughout a campaign or even throughout the course of a game. I mean, when he's on, when he has his confidence going, he's shooting from everywhere, he's being feisty, he's closing the ball down all over the place, he's not giving opposing center backs a second off their toes, he's not really thinking, he's just playing, and as fans, when Neil Mope is like this, we think of him as, as a rather selfish player, because he, he does take so many shots, he's just so instinctual, he's always looking to finish from literally anywhere on the field, if you think back to his first season with the club especially, he was shooting from all over the place. But it's just so much better than the alternative version of Neil Mopey, which we've pretty much been getting for most of this campaign or certainly since the start of 2021. Because when he's off, when he's not confident, he passes instead of shoots, he shoots instead of passes, he physically can't score. I mean, he can't hit the broadside of a barn from the inside right now. The, the penalty miss against Liverpool in November, the penalty miss versus Newport County in the, in the third round of the FA Cup. I mean, these are really bad scuffs, tame, weak efforts, things that only happen to a striker when you are lacking confidence to the extreme. Because ultimately, you can always go up there and put your foot through it. You can always smash the ball towards one of the corners. Maybe I'm being unfair and looking at his penalties, but this has been the same guy who at the start of the season went with the Penanka against David De Gea and Manchester United. But even from open play, when you think about it, a lot of his misses and misplays in the final third in the last couple months especially have been really quite tame. They've been weak efforts. You know, put your foot through it, Neil. You know, but instead he doesn't trust his technique or he doesn't have confidence or whatever it is, so he goes for the side foot or the safe play or what he thinks is the high percentage option, and it usually doesn't work out. He scuffs it or he misplays it because when strikers think, they aren't playing well. You don't have enough time to think especially in the Premier League. The best strikers are almost exclusively instinctual players. I mean, think about Glenn Murray when he was playing. And he was as instinctual of a striker as you could be. If you've been watching a lot of the Premier League this season, you've probably been watching players like Timo Werner. I mean, Timo Werner's... I can literally watch Timo Werner's brain freeze. He's another player who is so devoid of confidence, he looks like a robot out there because he has to think about everything he does before he does it. He's missing that instinctual game. It's not just a Neil Mope problem. Strikers go through this when they're devoid of confidence. They begin to think about it, and they're not as effective. But I've been pretty nice to Neil Mope on this podcast. I don't really get a lot of joy ripping on Brighton players because, first, I'm a positive energy type guy and in my own life. And, you know, secondly, and more importantly, in the end, I want everyone to succeed because, well, even if I had a vendetta against a certain player, which I don't, it's still in the club's best interest, at the very least from a business or saleable asset perspective, that everyone succeeds. Also, Brighton are such a liberal and progressive club, I almost feel bad saying anything about anyone, well, ever. I mean, just for an, for example, I hope Ali Reza Johanbash finds his old ever divisi form and becomes Brighton's starting right winger for the next five years and scores 10-plus every season. You know, is that going to happen? Probably not, but you catch my drift. I want everyone to succeed. And even now that Yambash is playing more, you know, with, with a few injuries that Brighton have been having, I'm still rooting for him, even though his days at the club are obviously numbered, because if he succeeds, well, then maybe Brighton can fetch a better return for him. 
and reinvest that money and hopefully a better striker. But I digress. Back to the whole Mope thing. And it's funny because I really didn't realize that he got sent off after the final whistle until maybe Monday or Tuesday. You know, and then I went back and, and watched what happens. And like I said, I've, I feel like I've been giving Mope the benefit of the doubt on this podcast. Um, so now I'm going to try a different strategy. Get out. Get him out of this club. Get Neil Mope away from Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. What a useless number nine he is. Neil, it, it's a disgrace that you're wearing that shirt number. Well, you know what? No, it's not a disgrace. It's a disgrace that you're wearing the Brighton seal on any shirt, regardless of what number. What happened was simple. There were three games left. Three games. You think that's a coincidence? No. Neil Mopé quit the season. He didn't want to play these last three games. It's been a long season. But guess what, Neil? It's been a long season for everyone, and not just you. And not just everyone at Brighton. You have it better off than 99.9% of all soccer players anywhere in the world, period. Look around, Neil. The writing's on the wall. You quit. Brighton were safe. You didn't want to contribute towards record points, Tally. You didn't want to contribute towards a record finish in the league. No. When the chips are down, you quit. It's as simple as that. You didn't see the point in continuing to play, or there was nothing that you decided you wanted to play for. You just quit. And this isn't even the first time you've had a disciplinary issue this season. Neil, you're the bad apple. Or here's another word for it. You are a coward. That's all you are, your small stature, but your big personality to overcompensate that? Yeah, well, guess what? That's not fooling me anymore. We bought the wrong Brentford striker two years ago. You're not just an agitator or someone who plays with a bit of an attitude. No, you're an asshole. Actually, no, you're worse. You're a hypocritical asshole. Roll the tape on Neil Mopey talking about verbal abuse after the loss to Sheffield United a few weeks ago. This is in context of the social media boycott. The players... Um, we get a lot of abuses online and it's, it is not normal. We need to fight it and I think that's a good way to do it. Uh, and especially after a game after tonight, I know we'll, we will get a lot of hate maybe. Uh, I will. So it's good that we are in this together. And that's great. I mean, Neil is definitely allowed to talk about social media and the abuse that players receive, because you have to remember that last year, after the Arsenal game, we had degenerate loser Arsenal fans typing from their gaming centers in Taiwan or wherever it was, sending Neil Mope and his family death threats, threatening to kill his family. I mean, that's way, 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 way over the... I mean, that's not, that's not even funny. And those people got arrested, and rightfully so. And by the way, that's about, that represents about the average Arsenal fan. But And, and social media companies can, can easily do a lot more to hold their users accountable for this type of stuff, and they don't. They, they completely abuse their power. They just meddled in an election here in the U.S., and trust me, you know, I don't like Dorsey or Zuckerberg or Seistrom or anyone else, but here's the thing. What does Neil Mope do when he's frustrated or when he decides he's done for the season, he doesn't want to contribute to the club anymore? No, he goes and abuses Jonathan Moss after the final whistle for basically no reason. Brighton dominated that game 11 v. 11. Lewis Dunk never should have pulled Fabio Silva's shirt. More on that later. But really, Brighton still hung in there pretty well. It took a moment of quality from Adama to break the resistance. Yes, we were unlucky to concede in the 90th, but make no mistake, there is never an excuse to go and pick up a red card after the game ends, unless you're going to finish a challenge on Wilfred Haha, but especially when your team played pretty well and only lost because you all had to play with 10 for such a large portion of the game. 
Neil Mope couldn't be bothered to finish the season. That's it. That's all. He quit on his teammates. He quit on the club. Frankly, he isn't very good. And he's the only reason Brighton are in 17th and not way, way higher up the table. He's a bad apple. He's negative energy. And he should be moved out of the club this summer. Period. I don't care if we can't recover our investment. Buy somebody else. We won't have any worse production than we already have. Have it. Alrighty. Yes. Get in. Up the Albion, baby. Alright. What is this now? Episode number seven of Brighton and Banter. I keep forgetting I haven't actually been, been doing these for that long. I just I have a lot of fun recording these these episodes, even though I know absolutely nobody listens to them. It's a beautiful day here in South Florida, Bradenton, Florida to be specific. The humidity level well, it's probably about four figures, and it feels like it's comfortably above 35Cs or 95Fs. There's a few seagulls flying around, so I feel like it's appropriate that we dive into some Albion. I was traveling last weekend, so I didn't have a chance to record right after the Wolves game, which is probably a good thing for everyone's sake, because after I saw the Mope incident, I was just enraged. And I actually recorded that intro a while earlier, and I was like, nah, I'm, I'm not going to publish that because it's, it's kind of on the edge with that. Then I remember that since no one listens to this podcast, I'm not going to get hit with any copyright for that post-match uh, sound clip, so, you know, whatever. But but really, what was Mope thinking? I mean, honestly, he's, he's always been anti-abuse, and, and he did a, an interview for the Premier League with their No Room for Racism campaign, and that's awesome. Um, I'm glad that he's speaking out against those issues, but it's it's just so ironic because, yeah, he's a total rage monster, um, you know, on and off the field. And, and he's lucky he didn't get sent off in the Sheffield United game before he gave that interview that I used, you know, because after he blazed over from about three yards, he, he grabbed the throat of Aaron Ramsdale, like a real tough guy, you know, I mean, anyway, but, and I, I do think that he's kind of a bad apple, um, and I also think that Potter doesn't really like him as a person, which I think ultimately hurts the squad, because when you think about the foundations of Brighton and Hove Albion as a football club, or at least the recent foundations, you know, with Graham Potter and Tony Bloom and, and Paul Barber and even Hope Powell with the women's team, if, you know, go back to Chris Hutton, it's about doing things the right way, it's about being classy, it's about being progressive, and, and Mope really is just a colossal asshole. I, I know that's not a sophisticated word, but I just really don't know what other way to describe him. And I do think that he gave up on the season, which, again, I, is a real shame because Brighton could easily break this 41 points record or at least tie it, which I think would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, I don't know. With, with Mope, he's supposed to be the talisman for the club. And, you know, if you believe the papers were paying him almost $4 bucks a year, you, you can't decide to just not play the last three games because you don't want to. Uh, I, I think that's a real disgrace. Uh, but anyway, we'll use the starting 11 um, from the Wolves and West Ham games to kind of break them down uh, all at once. We'll take we'll talk some rumors uh, swirling around at the end of the episode. But uh, yeah, let's get stuck in. Um, so real quick, just some statistics. Uh, 2-1 to Wolves at the movie theater, which was so frustrating because... Uh, what, that's the first time Wolves have beaten Brighton since the French Revolution? Um, I don't know what it is. It's just one of those things where 
Brighton will always beat Wolves regardless of the circumstance if they can keep 11 guys on the field. And, you know, Wolves didn't, they didn't have the dynamic Mexican. They didn't have Raul Jimenez. So it's just such a wasted opportunity for Brighton. And again, the stats don't really tell the story because Brighton were just so far in control during this game in the first half. Uh, even though I think Wolves were probably outpossessing them in the first half as well, Brighton just completely in control. I think Wolves finished with 60% of the ball, outshot Brighton 16 to 5, of which six were on target to Brighton's three. Dunk on 13 minutes, uh, and then dunk off on 53 minutes. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, Adam on 76, ridiculous give and go on the 18 yard box. So many bodies there. And then to open up the right foot and find the corner, just a spectacular finish. Gibbs White, really lucky goal. On 90 minutes, uh, he doesn't really know what planet he's on, so for him to score that was just a total fluke. Um, but Brighton didn't deserve any of their own luck there, so that's fine. Um, Mope, uh, again, like I've touched on before, off on 90 plus 7. And then yesterday, 1-1 at the Amex against the Hammers. Also really frustrating. West Ham will just never beat Brighton ever. Um but it's embarrassing to to give up a goal. I mean, it, and also embarrassing from David Moore. Um, isn't he trying to qualify for Europe? And also, how is that team qualifying for Europe? I mean, look at that squad. It's not like many of them would get a sniff in the Brighton team when everyone's healthy. Yes, Declan Rice, but that's probably about it. Maybe the big man up front. Mikel Antonio has been tormenting Brighton for for the last couple of campaigns, but is such a bad manager. He sucks. He sucks. He's a really poor manager. The stars must be aligning inside of that bubble bath, but whatever. It was basically 50% of the ball for both teams. West Ham, I think, outshot Brighton 15-10, to of which three were on target to Brighton's two. Well back on 84 minutes. Saeed Benrama on 87 minutes that guy that transfer hasn't worked which was surprising I don't know why they they spent that money for him anyway he was probably the sixth best player at at Brentford last year but that does take Brighton's tally up to 25 points dropped now from winning positions easily the most in the league oh yeah (laughs) um but uh like I said we'll go through uh Brighton's 11 for both games now and, and uh and break it all down We'll start in goal with Robert Sanchez. Genius save on four minutes at the beginning of the Wills game. I believe that was on a shot from Vitinha. But great save to keep Brighton in the game early. Good save again on 69 minutes, um, pushing away that that really ferocious uh, strike on the volley. I forget who teed that one up for Wolves. But you know, he had no chance on either of the Wolves' goal. The Adama goal again was just a moment of inspiration and a moment of brilliance. I'd love to talk with some Wolves fans actually about Adama Traore. I know he's had some problems this season with inconsistency and maybe attitude, but you can just see his class when he finishes like that. And I'd be interested to watch him play for a team that has a little bit more expectations than Wolverhampton Wanderers. I think it'd be really interesting to see him work with a different coach as well. Then Gibbs White is so bad that it took him three kicks and three deflections to advance the ball towards the goal. Um, so, you know, what can you say? No chance for Robert Sanchez on that one. Uh, 
and you know Brighton didn't really deserve any luck. Uh, in the West Ham game, again, Sanchez really didn't have a lot to do. Nothing he could do on that Saeed Benrama strike, which was peering off the post. Brilliant finish. But there was that awkward moment on 72 minutes, but uh, never worried. He handled that pretty well. Uh, I know he didn't want to give up the penalty, so he just kind of stood his ground, but it was just so awkward because I feel like he could have just picked up the ball, but he just kind of stood there three feet away on the edge of the 18-yard box and then just plucked the cross out of the air. It was, it was kind of comical. Um, on the Brighton back line, Ben. we'll start with Ben White. I think he was solid in both games. On the Ben Rama equalizer, all I could think about was, you know, was Fornals fouling Ben White? I mean, was that a foul on Ben White before the Ben Rama equalizer? I mean, Ben White headed the ball out. He got to the ball force. Fornals then caught him on the hip, which definitely staggered Ben White. I mean, I think that definitely hurt him, which is why he couldn't get up immediately. And it was enough to knock him down, and then that, in the domino effect, took out Adam Webster as well. It was a great finish by Saeed, but gosh, you know, Fornals cleared out a lot of space, and I feel like he really contributed to that goal. And I know you can't say that Fornals can't challenge for the ball, but it just feels like a foul. I don't I don't know. I know I'm clutching at straws here. Adam Webster, I think he was really good in the Wolves game. He was god here in the West Ham game with Captain Dunkout. Uh, the interception running towards his own goal on 47 minutes where he cuts out that cross was ridiculous. How that wasn't, how he didn't score an own goal there, I have absolutely no idea. And also a good recovery on Fornals after he was initially beat. I believe that was on 39 minutes. Lewis Dunk in the Wolves game first. Great goal on 13 minutes. And that corner kick routine I really like. And they talked a lot about this on the NBCSN feed in the, in the U.S. And... Basically, when clubs are zonal marking, and Brighton do this too, we, we put the big big guys on the edge of the six-yard box and a few other taller players uh, guarding that near post. But when you play an outswinger, it was Pascal Gross in this case, out to about 10 to 12 yards, you take, it, you take the ball away from the zonal markers completely. So the zonal markers aren't going to get anywhere near that, which leaves... Brighton center back, Lewis Dunk in this case, with a free run against, you know, a smaller front man. I believe Ruben Neves was trying to man mark him there. And and those are great R's. Lewis Dunk is going to win win that header every time. He did the same thing on 25 minutes. Same thing on 26 minutes. I think Dan Byrne got the one on 26 minutes. Uh, ridiculous save by Rui Patricio on the first corner on 25 minutes. And then on 53, he got sent off, which I just don't know why he did that. I, and I, I know, well, that's not true. I, I know why. It's an instinctual move. You're beat as a defender. You feel you're in trouble. You grab the player. But there's no reason to, to foul Fabio Silva there. Firstly, you know, Silva's unproven at this level, and there's, there's no guarantee that he converts there whatsoever. Um, and it, secondly, it wasn't like he was really clean in. I mean... He was clean, and that's why it was a red card. But I think that's also why Silva goes down. He knows he fancies Wolves' chances better being 1-0 down with 10 men than with him trying to convert there. I think Dunk could have recovered a little bit and challenged him or at least forced him to, to maybe narrow the angle a little bit off to the right side. Sanchez is really aggressive in those types of situations, and it definitely would not have been a comfortable finish for the young kid. 
And then, Lewis, there's three games left. You know, Brighton are trying to get the record points out. They're trying to go for record finish in the league. We've never won a game you haven't played in. So we need you in the ranks, sir. And and really, the way Brighton were going, it would have been a... It, Brighton still would have won the game, even if Silva had gotten it to 1-1, if we had kept 11 guys on the field. You know, and then just for an example, it was a, it was a brilliant goal by Adama Traore, as I've said. But there's no way... He scores that if Lewis Dunk is in the middle there. That little one-two, he's cutting that out. He's going to throw one of his patented scissor-kick, ankle-breaking challenges, which is not a, a penalty somehow because he times it perfectly every time, where he breaks up the play and, and smothers the shot all at once. Dan Byrne I thought was fantastic, especially in the Wolves game, because you have to consider what happened the last time Dan Byrne played Wolves. It was one of... The worst performances I've seen from any Brighton player in a game ever. And I wasn't really sure how Dan Byrne was going to be able to recover for that. I know we talked about it on this podcast before. I mean, I still have PTSD from that Wolves game watching Dan Byrne try to defend one-on-one. I think it was Adama for pretty much the entire game in that situation. But Dan Byrne handled himself pretty well, and he looked okay as a left-sided center back in the West Ham game. I mean, West Ham didn't really trouble Brighton too much, uh, to be completely honest. And then Basuma, uh, more on him later in the rumors uh, <laughs> section of the podcast, but uh, he's just a legend at this point. I don't really have a lot else to say. He hasn't converted on one of his long strikes in a while, so I'm waiting. He is due to get one of those right, but he's just bossing the midfield. He he just sniffs out every every dangerous situation. He wins every tackle. Uh, he takes on players in the midfield. He's, he's more athletic than everybody. He's he's got pace. He's got he's got technique. He's got ability. He is he's just something else. It is a pleasure to watch him operate in the middle of the park. There, Pascal Gross, basically in the Wolves game, was one of the worst back passes I've ever seen on 84 minutes for such a seasoned professional and someone who conducts himself on the field with just such consistency. I have no idea what he was thinking there. That was terrible. Adama did not make the most of that situation. Well, it wasn't really his fault. Gibbs White blazed over from about eight yards. Uh, but Gross definitely earned the captain's armband. It was nice to see him wearing that in the West Ham game. And and, and he was fine. He's a, he's a smooth operator in there. He's a steady player. And even though the game has gone by him a little bit in terms of pace... His his technique on the ball is is still Premier League class. There's, I'll never have a bad thing to say about Pascal Gross. Jakob Moderi came on 58 minutes in the Wolves game, and, but I still feel like he's getting up to speed with the Premier League, and and I it's hard to really blame him for that because he's never playing in his position. He's you know he's never in the middle of the park. He he's always on one side or the other, and on the Wolves winning goal he gets beat one on one. The Wolves player, I forget who it was, was is able to get by and get to the byline and, and dink across, which ultimately um, finds its way to Gibbs White somehow. But, you know, what can I say? He's on the right side that time. You know, usually he's been playing left uh, left wing back. This time he's on the right side. It's not his job. So I'm not going to criticize him for not being able to stop the cross when it's, you know, that's not really why we bought him from Lech Posen in the first place. Uh, Steven Alzate came in for the West Ham game. It's really nice to see him back into the mix. He's so good on the ball. He, he has a touch that is like sticky glue. Um, and, and 
is he a saleable asset? Because, you know, I, w- I want to see him play more for, for Brighton. I do. And I think he is a great squad player. I think that's a sign of Brighton improving when he is a squad midfield player. And I want to see him play more because I think he is that good on the ball. But gosh, Brighton are just loaded in terms of, you know, central midfield players, box-to-box midfield players. And I don't know who he comes in for, but I, I just want him out there. He's He's been a real professional. I know that injury really set him back earlier uh, this campaign, end of the last campaign. But he probably is a saleable asset. And, and maybe Brighton will look to uh, to cash in on him. He's not someone I talked about last week, I don't think, as a saleable asset when, when we were talking about how much money Brighton could raise over the summer. And then Ali Razor Yambash started both of these last two games. And to be honest, he looked real good in both. Lots of energy. <laughs> he should be very well rested. Um, and, and But he had to score in the West Ham game. I mean, you know, pick your chance. Uh, you want him to put away. But he had three really good looks in the second half, and he, he had to score on 55 minutes. He had to. He stuck Fabianski out. He beat him to the ball. He had an empty net. It was a slightly tight angle. But he's just going to lift it over Fabianski, so, so the, the keeper isn't really a factor. You have to score. If you're going to play in the Premier League, if you're going to start on a Premier League team, if you want to prove your worth to Brighton and say, hey, maybe I can stick around, maybe I can turn things around here, okay, well, you know, hit the target when there's no keeper. He had to score there. It was, you know, it was, it was, that, was, that was frustrating to watch. You could see his reaction. I mean, he's desperate for a bit of luck as well which he definitely hasn't had. But all I can say is keep playing well, sir, because, you know, maybe Brighton can raise an extra million pounds for you and uh, reinvest that in a better uh, front player. Uh, Leandro Trossard. I don't have anything to say, and that's the issue. He's creative, he tries, but we're now, in, we're now at a point where he's not really producing. And I've, I've always thought Brighton were okay with him on the left side of the attack and that if we had more clinical players around him, if we had better players on the right side and then up the middle, that it would bring the best out of him. But maybe that's not true. You know, maybe, maybe he isn't the answer on the left. And that's concerning because if he's not the answer on the left, then that leaves Brighton going into the summer with basically zero answers up front, with the exception of Danny Welbeck, who I think Brighton should look to re-sign and hope they do re-sign him to you know give him another year, give him a one plus one. But really, Danny Welbeck, you know, you look at his injury history, you look at his age, he can't play 38 games in the league, let alone you know any other minutes you want to use him up in in cup games or anything else. So. We need another player up front. So are Brighton really going into the summer needing an entirely new front three? Because if that's the case, then we need to have a different conversation about how much money Brighton need to raise by selling off some of these other assets. Neil Mope, uh, no comment. Danny Welbeck, uh, <laughs> hilarious post-match interview after the West Ham game because he just knows how much of an alpha he is compared to everybody else in the Brighton squad. And, I mean, what a finish that was. And he has really, really impressed me. He is a, he's a true professional. You can just tell he's someone. He's exactly like Adam Milani. You can just tell he's someone who's, 
who's seen the success, who's been a part of bigger things. And now he's, you know, that always is going to stay with a player. And you can, you can just sense that he's, you know, better than what he should be playing for Brighton. And it's, it's, it's so, it's, it's refreshing to see that. And yeah, I mean, he's really impressed me, but mostly with his work ethic. I mean, he works really hard for the team. He's always running. He's always making runs in behind. He makes a lot of runs where he doesn't get the ball, but he's never really yelling at anybody. He's always instead just works hard and closes the ball down. He's an instinctual player. We talked about Neil Mope lacking that instinctual ability when he's not confident and he's thinking about things. Well, well, you watch Danny Welbeck play. Everything he does is instinctual, and that's the sign of a great of a great striker. Great movement. He's got great pace. I can't believe how great his pace is at his age. And I didn't realize, you know, I I just didn't realize how much he's got left in those legs. I mean, he works really hard for 90 minutes, and, and that that has impressed me. Percy Tao, super sub on 73 minutes in the West Ham game. Nice to see him come in. Maybe he gets a few more minutes at one point. Um, you know, maybe maybe he sees a few minutes in the City game just because he didn't play very much uh, on Sunday or on Saturday, rather. But, yeah, great ball into Welbeck. Uh, it was an easy ball, but he found it. Um, and, and I'm happy for him. Again, is Percy Tau a saleable asset? Does he want to go back to Belgium? I'm not sure. But he, he definitely hasn't had as many opportunities. Uh, Graham Potter. Uh, all right, starting with the Wolves game. You know, could he have made different substitutions? You know, Brighton don't have anything to play for, and I understand it. And, you know, is, is it fair to, for fans? You go down to 10 men, do you just completely park the bus? I don't know. But bringing on Alexis McAllister on 58 minutes makes absolutely no sense. Either way you look at it, because you have to remember, Alexis McAllister is the guy who only wants to play in the hole. He only wants to play as a number 10. He doesn't want to really work hard defensively, and he's not really our best counterattacking player because he's not the quickest. So I thought it was, I just thought it was a weird substitution. And again, I'm not saying that, not really advocating for parking the bus, but, you know, could we have seen it out a little bit, a little bit better you know, by bringing on a little bit more energy than Alexis McAllister, I'm not sure. But just something that I was thinking about. And then I thought it was a good, I thought he set up the team really well for the West Ham game. I don't know how he keeps Ali Reza happy to, to, to play. I mean, I don't understand that. But, but Potter definitely deserves a lot of accolades for his man management ability. You know, you hear about the way Adam Lallana raves about him. You hear about the way Danny Welbeck raves about him. I mean, these are guys that have seen it all. So if if they're raving about him, you know, you know that that he's doing a lot of great work behind the scenes. And then and then we've got to talk about at least a little bit about Jakob Moder. And I I just want to see him play in midfield before the season is up for 90 minutes. Let him play in the midfield. And I I just want to see what we've got with him. You know, I mean, please can we please at one point. In either the Man City game or the Arsenal game, it doesn't have to be for 90 minutes. A heck, can only be for five minutes, and that's fine. Can we please play a 3-5-2 with with Basuma, Moder, and Caicedo in the midfield, please? And, and hell, Carbon Carbonic at left wing back, please. That, that's all I want to see. At one point in these next two games, could we have a midfield three of Basuma, Moder, Caicedo? You just know it would be so damn funny because 
you know, Arsenal or Man City wouldn't be able to get the ball. You know, I know Man City have an elite midfield. Arsenal have a terrible midfield. Man City wouldn't, would, I mean, it would actually be a competitive midfield. I think I, and maybe I'm maybe I'm talking out of turn here, but I <laughs> that's what I want to see at one point for the rest of this season. Alrighty, so also on this podcast, I wanted to talk about two just critical members of the current Brighton and Hove Albion everything and that's Eves Pesuma and Graham Potters and we've got we've got interesting news for both we've got to talk about some of the rumors that have been swirling around this week because you know I, I try to be as objective as I can with with what I see but sometimes you see things and and there's so much banter especially in the British tabloids that it, if you keep reading it you do start to believe it so maybe by maybe by talking into a microphone here for the next few minutes, I'll actually calm myself down. Because, you know, this week it broke that supposedly Eve Basuma's told Brighton that he wants out this summer. Now, before we dive into what that means or, or where he could go, I, I find it really unlikely that this information actually got leaked from Brighton. So I'm, I'm already skeptical. I don't know who his agent is. I actually probably should have looked that up before this this podcast. But it's it's not really like the club to do business with people, and whether that's agents or or with their own reporters, to you know leak this type of information out. And I'm not sure it's really to their advantage. I mean, if if a club knows a player wants out, you know maybe they won't offer as much money for him because they know. Brighton, in this case, have to move him on at this at some point this summer. So, so that's my first point. And the, my second point is that Eve Basuma has two years left on his Brighton deal after this season wraps up. So Brighton don't really have to act on this if they don't want to, unless Eve gets a little aggressive and tells you know Tony Bloom or Grant Potter or, or whatever that he, that he won't play next year. And you know, yeah, he's probably not going to sign a new deal. You know, and typically a club will get a little bit more money longer a player has left on his contract, but you can only see Eve Basuma and Brighton, for that matter, improving next campaign. And you can only see more clubs having more money to spend next summer. So maybe his transfer just can't happen yet for you know financial reasons for Brighton. If Brighton don't think they can get a good return for him, and I think that has to be $50 million, then then maybe they won't they won't budge. I do believe $50 million is a fair valuation, by the way, because I do believe that Yves Bissoume actually is that good. And, and before we, we speculate anything in terms of where he could go, let's talk about what we do know. And there's only one thing we know. Yves Bissouma loves the Premier League. Anytime he does an interview for Brighton or, or a different newspaper, he always he can't shut up about how much he loves the league. So I would say that he probably would want to stay in England. Which is annoying because I'm sure Brighton are desperate to ship him out of England. I mean, Brighton aren't looking forward to playing against Eve Basuma uh, at any point ever. Um, you know, we've heard Monaco, we've heard Real Madrid outside of outside of England. You know, do Monaco have that kind of money? Um, you know, yeah, but it, it's unlikely. It's not really their style to to splash the cash on someone who's already been developed. You know, they they like to develop young French talent. 
and then move it on. Madrid, I mean, they could definitely use him. They're, they're at the average midfield age there is about 75, and there's no athleticism remaining whatsoever, but does he want to go to Spain? I mean, he doesn't speak Spanish, so I don't know if he would want to be up for that from a cultural perspective. But also, how often does Real Madrid come, come calling? So maybe you have to take that if the chance comes. You know, what was Yves Basuma like as a child? Did he have aspirations to play for you know, one of these super clubs, that was probably a bad choice of words because, well, whatever. One of these, I hate all those clubs, so they're, they're not super in any way. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Did Eve Basuma had, have childhood aspirations to play for a certain club? We haven't really heard that um, because, again, it's, it's sort of in Brighton's style, the way they conduct business. I mean, we don't even... When Brighton sign a player, we, we know nothing about it. I mean, it's 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 amazing how during the summer transfer window or January transfer window, I mean, we heard Moises Caicedo rumors. We heard rumors a little bit about Michael Carbonic that Brighton might be in the running. But but things just happen all the time, and, and, and we as fans have absolutely no idea until it's announced on the club website, which is just so different to to, well, pretty much every other club, you know about a transfer or you know about news like way before the club publishes anything about it. So it's not surprising that we haven't heard, you know, these types of things from from Basuma or Basuma's agent or the club or anything like that. Um, and then in England, you can really only see the traditional big six and then, you know, maybe Leicester, if they make Champions League, willing to splash the kind of cash that we're talking about here, $50 million. And I would immediately take... No- you know, North London out of the equation. I mean, Brighton are five five wins, three draws, and seven defeats against North London in the last four years. So, you know, that kind of shows you where it's at for those clubs. And there's just no hope on the horizon for, for either of those two dumpster fires. I mean, you think Tottenham or Arsenal are really going to make progress at all in the next few years? Well, Tottenham might have to hire Graham Potter. More, more on that in a second. Uh, but, but really... Uh, you know, there's no reason for Yves Basuma to go to to go to one of those clubs, and if he really wants to go, you know, to Arsenal or to Tottenham for whatever reason, you know, maybe as a kid he really wanted to play for one of those clubs, you know, okay, fine, but then take another year at Brighton and just kind of see what unfolds at Tottenham or at Arsenal before you make that swat make that switch, because you know, right now there is legitimately no hope for either of those two clubs. Um, so who else do we have? Chelsea. <laughs> Could you imagine two holding midfield players of, of N'Golo Kante and Eve Basuma? <laughs> oh my God, no one would ever score on them again. I mean, you know, I mean, that is, that is actually a terrifying thought. Uh, Manchester United, he immediately makes them better, uh, way better. Uh, really, Fred and McTominay uh, as a midfield too. How are they second? I mean, oh my God. God, I mean, it's not because of their box-to-box midfield play, I'll tell you that. Basuma immediately goes into their lineup. But again, Manchester United, are they gonna are they gonna splash the cash on a fifty million dollar sensible transfer like Eve Basuma? Eh, probably not. They'll probably waste a hundred million on on Jaden Sancho. Uh, Manchester City. Uh, Eve Basuma completely fits their mold. Uh, he's not a superstar, but he's quietly an elite talent, which seems to be all they recruit. But they are absolutely loaded in the midfield in terms of options. I'm not sure they really need another body. I know Fernandinho is leaving. Uh, isn't his contract up? Um, but also, I'm pretty sure that that's why they 
That's that's why they bought Rodri. Rodri is his. Rodri is the Fernandinho replacement. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not a Man City fan. Um, but that's just kind of what I've read and what I've seen. So, do they need another body? You know, I don't know. They definitely have the money. Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool makes the most sense to me from an on on paper perspective. I mean, they need more bodies in the midfield. You know, whether you like Eve Basuma or not. I I just don't like any of their depth. You've got Wijnaldum leaving this summer. I know Fabinho's in there. Thiago hasn't really worked with all the Liverpool injuries, even though I still think that's a good signing, by the way, if, if everyone was healthy. Curtis Jones, their, their youngster, yeah, maybe, but who really knows? Naby Keita, uh, no. Milner, he's old. Oxlade-Chamberlain, no, useless. Uh, Jordan Henderson, uh, obviously an elite midfield player. So you've got Henderson, you've got Fabinho, you know, maybe Curtis Jones, Thiago, a little different type of player. Uh, yeah, they need another body. They need at least another body in there. But, you know, Liverpool, all we hear about is how strapped for cash they are. So are they going to come up with $50 million? Uh, probably not, even if it's for a young guy like Basuma, who's already proven in the league. But as we've seen from these quote-unquote big clubs, uh, they don't make smart, sensible transfers. So, you know, spending $50 million on a guy who's proven, uh, who's young, who has ridiculous potential, who would make your club better? No, no, no. That's not what we want. We want to spend, you know, $100 million on an old superstar and then cry about how UEFA isn't giving us enough money from the Champions League. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. Don't even get me started. Uh, Leicester City. Uh, you know, usually Leicester City develop the talent and then they sell. But, you know, maybe, especially if they make Champions League, uh, they look to bring in some talent that's already proven. I think they will make Champions League, by the way. And I know Tielemans has been an absolute god for them in the midfield this year. But, you know, Indini... I, mean, I think Basuma's probably an upgrade there. I mean, I I don't know for sure. Uh, certainly, Leicester, if they're going to contest the Champions League schedule, it's not going to hurt them if they if they need to add a little bit more depth. Um, but I do think Basuma would be an upgrade over Ndidi. Uh, wouldn't it wouldn't it totally shatter their transfer record though? Uh, bringing in Basuma, so it's just not really their style. So I'm just not sure. Um, although, wait, wait. Yeah, didn't they spend like $50 million on Telemans from Monaco? Um, so I guess it's not totally beyond, beyond. It's definitely in their budget, but it's not really their style. Plus, they only buy talent directly from France. Uh, so in this case, the talent has gone from France to Brighton. So, yeah, it's not <laughs> it's not really their style. Uh, <laughs> so so we'll see about that. We'll see where Yves Basuma ends up. I it would have to be a big. It would have to be a big buy. I mean, Brighton do have his replacements lined up in Jakob Moder and Moises Caicedo, but also he's got two years left, and you know Brighton probably don't want him in the Premier League. So I just ah gosh, I just don't know. I I I think it's probably more likely than not that he moves, but I'm also not. It's not a guarantee like a lot of the tabloids are making it seem. Um. So let's talk about Graham Potter. Graham, you've got to please stay. <laughs> please stay. For for a bright fan, you've got to stay. You have to stay. Do not, do not go to Tottenham. I've seen all sorts of links for Tottenham. I've seen even more links for Tottenham. And then after that, you'll you'll be surprised. I saw I read a couple more links uh, to Tottenham. And then I've also read if Southgate leaves and takes Tottenham job, that that Graham Potter should should coach the English national team. No, no, no. Graham, stay. Please stay. Uh, for Brighton's project, I'm desperate for you to stay, but also for your own development, 
please stay. You are one player away from establishing something really special on the South Coast. You know, and then you can get an even bigger move because Tottenham isn't a desirable situation right now. Just let's think about Tottenham right now. You will have big six expectations with a mid-table team. You've got Daniel Levy, who's you have no money. He's still desperately trying to pay off his brand new NFL stadium. You might not have a striker, <laughs> although you know how to play without a striker. Uh, but, you know, if, if Harry Kane leaves, that leaves a pretty big void in the Tottenham squad. Does Would Son even stay if Kane leaves? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, that squad basically needs a complete rebuild. Lucas Morris old, uh, Deli Alley, useless. So, you know, don't... Please be as pragmatic with your own development as you have been with Brighton's development. I mean, we can see what you're building at Brighton. Everybody knows you are a good coach. You've been called the best English manager by pretty much everybody. So there's no reason for you to take this job. Stay at Brighton for another couple seasons. Really establish the club as a top 10 club. We've got a top 10 squad. If we could just add a striker. I mean, look at West Ham. So establish Brighton and then make your move. That's fine. There's no hard feelings, but just don't go now. Come on, don't go now. And we can have conversations later about, you know, if Graham Potter were to leave, who should come in. I think Frank Lampard would be an interesting um, acquisition because he's got a pretty good track record working with young talent. Uh, And I didn't think what happened at Chelsea was really his fault. Um but Potter, you're, you're Grant. You're you're one player away here from something really special, Brighton. Please stay, <laughs> please. Um, so with with that conversation over, uh, we've got Manchester City on Tuesday. Um, so maybe we'll go for a midweek podcast, but more likely uh, the weekend afterwards. These tilapia won't grow themselves, um, and then you know uh, we'll conclude the season. Yeah, well, if, if we do it next weekend, we'll do it after the Arsenal game. And, and we all know how the season will conclude. It'll conclude with another drumming of the misfiring guns. Um, but, yeah, we've got Manchester City. Hey, it's Pep versus Potter. So, you know what that means. It's the best Spanish manager against the best English manager. Uh, your words, not mine. Uh, anyway, uh, let's wrap this baby up. Up the Albion. Have it.